if you're just logging on, just give us a couple, uh, about 30 seconds and we'll get started. Just giving everyone a chance to log on. All right, hello everyone. Um, I'm Rachel Zabonik-Chanko, Editor-in-Chief of Club Solutions Magazine, and thank you so much for joining us for today's Thought Leaders panel. First off, I'd like to take a second to thank our sponsor for this session, which is Digital Revenue Systems. Um, and they really help clubs generate additional revenue by creating a private, customizable, and easily managed digital display network, and by selling external advertising on the club's behalf. The digital display networks can ensure the member experience in club content and club communications, promotions, events, and employee communications are a priority. So thanks so much to them for sponsoring today's sessions. All right, well, we have a really awesome panel today and I'm gonna kick us off by having each of you go around and just introduce yourselves and um, tell the audience a little bit about each of your organizations. Amita, let's start with you. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm the regional director. I'm Amita Bala, the regional director of the West Coast for Crunch Signature. We've been around for about 30 years. Based out of New York, I get to run our California region. Um, and really, primarily, my focus is sales. Awesome. Thank you. Robert, go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, uh, Robert Brewster. I'm with the Alaska Club. I'm the CEO there. We have uh, 15 multi-purpose uh, fitness centers uh, throughout the state of Alaska. Nice, awesome. So glad you're here, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. Cassie, go ahead. Yeah, my name is Cassie Gallagher. Uh, we are located in Houston, Texas. We have a training facility in Pilates. Um, called Avenue Fitness. We have two locations. Our first one uh, we opened up in 2006 and then our most recent one in 2018. Awesome. Thanks, Cassie. All right, Sean, last but not least. Hello, Sean Stewart. I'm the owner and CEO of CSS Fitness Holdings and Fuel Fitness. We've got three locations here in North Carolina. I've uh, been an operator in the industry for 27 years and started Fuel Fitness uh, early last year. So look forward to chatting with you guys today. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone. I appreciate you all being here. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and dive into our topic, which is profit generation and revenue generation. So could each of you give me just a brief update on the state of profit and revenue generation at your um, facilities upon reopening? Are, are things looking up? Um, Amita, let's start with you. Yeah, you know, we've had pretty good time for California. I'll speak with, with my region. Uh, we've been open since March inside um, LA. It was the middle of March. We've seen a, a great number. We've seen a, a nice surge happening. Um, most recently, we have a lot of new restrictions and requirements, and we're kind of working through those. Yeah. Yeah, the Delta variant's definitely throwing our wrench in everyone's plans. Yeah. And now there's a lot of vaccination mandates, mask requirements in the state of California. Um, it's just been, you know, adapting and pivoting this entire time, really, uh, keeping close to the ground, finding out what these requirements are, working with the staff, working with the members, um, and just kind of making sure we're staying positive and moving forward. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, Robert, um, how are things at the Alaska Club? Well, I think uh, like a lot of places around the country, we've had a significant number of uh, member uh, cancellations due to the restrictions. Uh, we probably went, uh, well, we went through February of this year seeing a negative trend. Uh, and then it was like a cliff, something happened and uh, we started seeing much fewer cancellations and more uh, membership growth. And so we've seen, we've started to see a slow progression back, uh, but it's been uh, difficult to manage the you know, decrease in revenue. And uh, we've spent a lot of effort on cost control throughout the organization, uh, managing uh, personnel levels, et cetera. Uh, and so it has been a, a difficult time. I think you know, it's important for people uh, across the industry to know that, you know, we are all struggling together in this problem and that, uh, you know, we have to work our way out of it. It's going to take some time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I, you know, obviously in my role, I'm highlighting a lot of success stories and I don't want people to think that, you know, it's just all rosy. 
rose-colored glasses. There's definitely a lot of people who are still trying to claw their way back. So I'm glad you brought well, that up. And, and I do think that that's really important because, you know, we get on here and we, you know, sometimes want to highlight those things that are working and people go, gee, am I the only person out there that's not, you know, doing well or all the way back? And I speak with a lot of really high quality operators across the country. And this is a, you know, not completely universal, but certainly um, what's happening in our industry is very uh, specific to the type of club and uh, operation that you're running. You know, if you're, you know, in the low, uh, low cost sector, you are probably coming back faster uh, than people are in other parts of, uh, of the industry. You know, family multipurpose is, and luxury is probably at the other end uh, and everybody else is somewhere in between. And so it's, um, you know, I, I think it's discouraging if we're not, uh, you know, completely honest about our circumstances. Yeah, definitely. Well, Cassie, what about you? Can you give us an update on uh, revenue generation and if things are looking up at Avenue? Yes, they are looking up from 2019 and in from 2020, definitely. Um, but I'll kind of speak to something that both Robert mentioned and Amita mentioned. Robert, we lost three crucial team members during the COVID time. Um, so that was something that was definitely a struggle because we realized virtual training was going to be a part of our business model for the foreseeable future. And there were people on our team that that just not was that's not something that they wanted to do moving forward. Um, so that was definitely something that was challenging. They had been with us for you know almost ten years each. Um, we had to find people to replace them, and it wasn't like they left to go uh, to another gym. They just did something completely different in general with their career. And I think we probably saw a lot of that in COVID in any kind of um, field that you're working in. Um, and then one of the best things that we did was whenever this was first happening, we shut down for one day, got our plan together, and we knew everyone was going to be going to virtual training since we were closed. We let everybody have our equipment. We gave it away. People that didn't have home gyms set up, we said, don't worry about it. We're going to take care of you. Uh, Amita, as you said, kind of meeting people where they are, we said, all right, we realize that everybody has home equipment. Things were going like crazy on the internet. You could not find a dumbbell or a kettlebell anywhere. And if you did find it, you were going to pay twice as much in shipping to get it. Um, so we gave our equipment away and we're literally able to just like continue on the process with clients. I know that sounds, uh, you know, like it was super, super easy, but it really was. We had Zoom ready to go. We gave away our equipment. Those who were willing and ready to just keep on, um, we were able to meet their needs like right away. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the virtual as well. Um, cause you know, obviously that was something that a lot of clubs, um, clubs pivoted to during the course of the pandemic and it's become a mainstay on a lot of offerings. Um, do you guys feel like that could be a potential way to bring in additional revenue based off of each of your experiences or is it just a complimentary uh, piece of the membership? Robert, have, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do. Uh, and like most uh, companies, we established a digital platform. We call it Club Connect. And we're pretty proud of it. We think it's going pretty well. During the early stages of the pandemic, it was what we could offer. Obviously, um, we, put, we didn't have an opportunity to bring people in during the shutdown. And it's evolved now into a tool that we plan on using. You know, I think a lot of people are referring to it as hybrid uh, model. I mean, the reality is, is and, and when I talk with other club, club operators around the country, the numbers aren't huge for most people uh, in terms of the number of uh, people that are taking part of that. But I do think it's a, a really nice complement to the value proposition and it helps us get people through the door right now as they're worried about, you know, am I going to be able to stick with this program? Should I join a gym? You know, they can, it, it gives them some assurance that they can fall back to that. It, um, and so what we're seeing uh, when we look at our numbers is a combination of people not using hybrid or the, excuse me, the digital exclusively. It's something that they tap into in addition to coming to the gym. Um, we're not seeing a lot of people that are just using it exclusively. Yeah. And, and I, I think for the long term, it'll be, it'll be part of the offering, but I think it's going to be hard to make money on it standalone. Yeah. yeah. Cassie, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it has definitely become a hybrid for us. There are even people within Houston. Houston is a very large city, and we would actually have people drive about 20, 25 minutes to come train with us. And now they can do that from the comfort of their home. Um, I think especially like 
one of the biggest section of our clientele are moms. And if they've got a kid who can't go to sick, kids are getting sick and you can't get, send your kid to school now with the stuffy nose because everybody thinks it's COVID. So it's allowing those moms to be able to still work out, whether it's they're working from home right now or they've got a sick kiddo, um, they have no reason to not make it. And they appreciate that and they like that. They want to be able to say, hey, I can't physically come to the gym today, but guess what? I can log online and still take care of myself. And so that just goes back to one of our promises of making a healthy lifestyle sustainable for them because we're really kind of meeting them at where they are at each point and stage of their life. Um, so it really has been something that's been beneficial for us. I would say probably right now, we still have about 40% of virtual, 60% in training. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Go ahead, Amita. So yeah, such great points from both of you guys. You know, for us, uh, the hybrid model, especially we have an offering called Crunch Live, which are our videos online. And, you know, we saw a surge when during the pandemic, we saw a lot of people using it. It was really great turnout. And then I think people wanted it to be a little bit more social. So coming back to the gym was really exciting for them. We did see a, a little bit of a drop, but where it's been the best for us, the most beneficial is our corporate markets. I think that's taken the biggest hit, um, especially downtown San Francisco, some of the financial areas. Um, having that offering, as Robert had said, is really useful to get some of those people back because this delay of going back into the office that we're seeing, it keeps happening, it's getting pushed. So just having that, they can still maintain their memberships and have something at home until they get back into the office. That's really helped us a lot. Yeah, that's a great point. All right, Sean, you wanna give us a quick update on how things are at Fuel Fitness? Yeah, and just to kind of touch on the virtual points, uh, I agree it's a good compliment. Uh, short term, is it here to stay long term? I guess that's how you characterize long term. Hopefully, we're out of this uh, sooner rather than later. But you know, for us, I also I don't want to go all in on virtual because I don't want to lose touch of who we are as a business, as an industry. We are uh, a, a people-to-people business, and I think the more we extend away from that the more habit that becomes. And there's businesses out there, we all know who they are, that are spending millions and millions and millions of dollars creating virtual, creating content. I'm never going to compete with that. I don't want to compete with that. And so one thing we're looking to do to shore up our virtual component is, is there partnerships out there with people and companies who do it way better than we're ever going to do it for the quality, for the content, and so forth. But as far as Will we ever go all in with it? Probably not. Uh, as far as us as a business, yeah, we're still in recovery. There's no doubt about it. But the positive sign is as I look at the trend lines of all the three to five major categories, all of them continue to trend up month over month and have so ever since uh, you know, the reopening last summer. And so that's been positive. We've only had one month where we uh, flatlined or gone backwards just a hair, but every month is, is growth. It's still recovery phase, but it's, it's positive growth. So that's, uh, that's good to see. And we'll keep knocking on wood here with the uh, Delta variant to see what happens. But yeah. So far, so good. Yeah. Well, good. That's very encouraging. Robert, were you going to say something? Yeah. If I could say one thing about virtual, I think uh, there are folks that are thinking about virtual as a way to keep people at home. I think we really need to think of, as an industry as virtual as a way to bring people to the club and a way for um, the virtual component to drive um, business and activity at the fitness center because, you know, we can't, we're not going to make it on virtual alone. So we need to think about virtual as a way to shore up our operations. And we're, you know, in addition to classes and things of that nature, we're looking at it as a how to uh, sort of thing. So we're going to offer. Uh, content that gives people better idea of how to use the club as opposed to just simply, you know, this is a lineup of all the classes that we're doing. And um, so think about it as a way to get people back to the facility as a way as, as opposed to a substitute for being at the facility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. All great um, thoughts from everyone on that. So I appreciate it. Um, 
Well, let's change gears a little bit. I want to talk about which areas of the business are rebounding the quickest. And if there's any maybe profit centers that are still lagging, like personal training or small group training, maybe can each of you speak a little bit to um, those areas and, and your thoughts on that? Sean, let's start with you. Personal training has actually been uh, pretty successful in, in the recovery stage. It's recovering a lot quicker and even surpassing uh, 2019 levels in a lot of cases. Uh, so we've had we've had good success there. I've been very happy with it. Uh, small group training, not so much. Uh, we've we've tested some things here and there. Uh, we have not fully relaunched our small group training program uh, because of that. And it's similar to our, our Group X program. Our big Group X classes haven't recovered, but our smaller ones have. And I think it's for obvious reasons. But we've we've had some uh, some success with uh, personal training. We had a steep curve right after the reopening and then moderate growth. And then going into uh, in these last three or four months, we've had another significant increase, another positive sign. Awesome. And then Kathy, um, I know, you know, small group training is obviously your all's uh, sweet spot. Can you give us an update? Maybe some of the things that you guys have done to bring that back upon reopening. We did see people when we first reopened wanting more private training. Um, then as people became more comfortable, more people were vaccinated in our community, they felt more comfortable to go into the small group setting again. Now our small group used to be maybe like six, seven people. Now it's more like the two, five. So we're kind of trying to balance space and people and what people feel comfortable with. Um, we used to kind of have things divided out where each trainer had a section. We're now a little bit more, you know, free and not such strict boundaries. Um, but it's kind of basing off of what our customers feel comfortable with. And it is that like two to four, possibly even five range, depending on how many people are in the gym at that time. Okay. Awesome. Amita, you maybe speak to the sales perspective at Crunch. Yeah. Membership so numbers are going. Well, membership numbers um, have been really great. Uh, they've been very steady since we've opened, um, kind of managing through this. Different markets tend to go differently. Um, residential markets do really well for us. As I mentioned before, the corporate sector is a bit tricky, especially in, in city areas. Um, with us, we, we actually had a little bit different than what you had, Cassie. Um, when we first came back, personal training was a little bit harder for people to understand how safe it was and really what it was about. But once we introduced more safety measures, we kind of made sure that people realize it at different offerings. Um, we saw a, a little bit more of a gain in personal training right when people signed up. Um, and that really kind of has grown. Um, I think really it comes down to people still have big goals out there, right? Going back down to the basics. And during the pandemic, or as most people say, the pandemic 15, a lot of their bodies have changed. So it's taken on our part, a lot of going back into the clubs and role-playing and doing some of the things that, you know, based off of the pandemic, where are your clients? They still have things they wanna do. Weddings are still coming out. They still have events coming up. They still want to drop weight, really going back to why they're coming into the gym in the first place. Yeah, great advice. Robert, what about you? Um, want to give us an update on profit generation? Any bright spots in particular? Yeah, I would say that our bright spots right now are really in the youth uh, programming segment. Uh, uh, not just a little better than we've ever seen before, but significantly better than we've ever seen before. And I mean, membership development is, is challenging right now, um, but programming, particularly revolving around youth has been very, very strong. I mean, for example, we just ran a, a camp program uh, that had probably 170% and, and we've run significant summer camp programs at multiple locations uh, for, for decades. And it was 170% of our best efforts uh, in previous years. So. I mean, we're seeing significant demand for that. Swim lessons kind of along the same line uh, off the charts. Uh, and it has been for, for about a year now. Um, and what has not gone well, um, and, and I don't, and I think I'm, I can say this is, is common uh, from what I've talked with other club operators is it's been tough to reactivate canceled members. You know, I, I think there was a pretty good thought in the industry that, um, in, in most clubs, our most fertile ground would be the people that had been members now that they, you know, that they would feel more comfortable coming back. 
and we're having a, an easier time developing new member than getting the old members back at this point. So I don't really have a good reason for that. I think that's just a, something people should be aware of. Um, things like massage and team training, I think due to the kind of intimate nature of those activities have not uh, bounced back for us. So, you know, similar to what other people have seen, you know, spreading out, being able to um, feel comfortable uh, has gone well. Any youth activity has gone well, being in small environments close to other people, not so much. As far as personal training goes though, I kind of to defeat my own point, uh, that has been going pretty well. We're still up about 10% from where we had been two years ago. We don't, we don't compare hardly anything to 2020. We're going back to 2019 yeah. like most folks. <laughs> and uh, so um, we're about 10% off that, but our, our net is better because we've become much more efficient in the way that we, uh, you know, the number of people we have managing all of that and our processes, um, you know, we feel we're well positioned to bounce back uh, you know, in, in the future, because our cost structure is uh, tightened up so much all the way around the organization. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up the youth programming as a bright spot. Um, might be an idea for any facilities that have opportunities to add, you know, youth programming or services as a potential revenue driver. I think everyone's itching to get their kids back in, around other kids socializing. Out of the house. Yeah, and out of the house. We don't have a lot of youth programming, but I have to say that some of our clubs, especially the residential clubs, are a lot younger. The average age of people that are coming in, it's really, it's interesting. And I think that yeah. affects everything we're doing with marketing. Yeah. Um, I'm you know, also glad that you brought up, Robert, the um, having trouble bringing members off of freeze. Sean, Cassie, or Amita, any strategies that you guys have had um, that have been successful in that regard? I'm sorry, what regard? Um, getting members back off of freeze, any specific strategies that have worked? I would say worked because I, we're having the same challenge Robert has. Uh, it, it's mainly not so much the focus of trying to get them back, but it's more the strategy of how do we talk to them? How do we communicate with them? How do we get feedback? What are their concerns and fears? Are they people that we were going to lose anyway, but these are the ones who now have it excuse and even a better excuse not to, to come back. And so uh, we certainly put the effort into it and it's uh, we have not had much of a return, but we've kind of shifted and pivoted to really focus on the data from them to be able to talk, get surveys and see what we can learn both from them and then obviously new members. Yeah. For us, yeah. member engagement and um, just getting really in touch with our members that are on freeze or maybe that canceled, um, our marketing department put out a crunch shorts. So it's actually a little newsletter with fitness tips. It's fun. That's worked really well to touch some of those members constantly, you know, every month sending them something just to keep in touch with them making sure they know that all the safety measures that we're doing, some of the hybrid options that they have, and just the fact of, you know, what's going on, keeping it fun, keeping it light. You know, I really like to stress that uh, our gyms need to be a sanctuary. I loved what you said, Robert, about we need to get people back in our clubs, right? All of our profit centers will increase when we see people back in the clubs. So we have to just keep focusing on that. Yeah, definitely. Go ahead. One, one thing that has worked for us in the uh, in getting people back, I mean, as a general rule, I've been disappointed with reactivation, but this this has generated hundreds of reactivations um, is to, to provide trial. And I think what we need to think about the consumer's mindset right now, they see joining as a risk because, you know, am I going to feel comfortable, you know, is the you know, Delta variant going to show up or whatever it is. And so what we, one thing we did is we, we gave summer free, which was really more like two months mm -hmm. by the time we initiated this and basically say, Hey, we're going to give you a summer for free. You can cancel if you want to, but on September one, when we run our billing, we're going to start billing you again. And uh, that's generated hundreds of, of reactivations. And so I think that's a good tool that you can use uh, you know, I think people worry that they're going to miss out on revenue that, of people that may have rejoined. But I think at this point, uh, that's been a strong sales and marketing strategy for us all the way around. We're doing lots of trial, large long-term trial 
-hmm. and it seems to be getting people, um, you know, getting going again, getting back on the horse. And then, you know, we're hopeful that it'll result in, in significant uh, people, number of people staying with us. So interesting you said that because it really is, this is the first time that we're really all excited about the longer guest passes, you know, really taking care and being loyal to the people that are staying with us, the members in our club, giving them VIP guest passes, having them refer their friends. Um, but that's really interesting you said that because we're doing that same strategy. Yeah, and if I could touch on that too, it, I've done summer free probably the last four or five years. I think a lot of clubs do. What was different this time, you touched on it, Robert, is it wasn't a, uh, a promotion. It wasn't a sales gimmick, so to speak. We genuinely wanted to give people the ability to come back and engage and see what we're doing and educate them. Mm -hmm. And for me, when we saw that, I thought, man, if moving forward, all the promotions that we do could have that same level of aha moment where it's not about the promo, or the gimmick, it's about the engagement and it's about the yeah. customer. And uh, you know, that, that was pretty big for us too this year. Does anyone have any other um, marketing or sales promotions that have been really successful over the course of this time for either reactivating memberships or driving new ones? We've done member appreciation. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. That's okay. Go ahead, Kathy. <laughs> can't say that we've done anything specifically in terms of like a particular sale or pass, but we have offered as all of you said, like, Hey, come in, give it a try. See how you're feeling. Um, right when all of COVID started, we actually created just lists like this client does not want to come in with, or, you know, first of all, it was virtual because we weren't even allowed to be open. So it was like, okay, this client is not comfortable with virtual whenever we can come back in person and wear a mask, contact me then. And then there's a whole nother group of people that were like, okay, whenever I don't have to wear a mask, contact me and I'll come back. <laughs> so it's kind of just categorizing your customers to see whenever they're ready and comfortable to come back and then inviting them to do so. But then also at the same time, kind of helping the client understand, like, we're here for you. Like you guys said, really trying to retain the clients that you have. Um, and those that have gone away, Sean, as you mentioned, it might've been a time that they were already going to be kind of doing something different to begin with. So are you interested in training with a different trainer? We are not territorial here. We share clients. You know, it is, if someone goes on vacation, we cover for one another. Often a particular client might have one, two, three trainers. We all work really well together as a team in that way. Um, so helping the client understand it is not an issue. If you want to change trainers, we can do that. And that might've been something that they were kind of on the fence about. And we're like, oh, I don't want to go back yet. I don't want to train with so-and-so anymore. I want to do something different. So just starting that conversation for them so that they don't have to be awkward, you know, talking about it or feel awkward talking about it. Um, and then two, changing our monthly schedule to weekly because so much was up in the air with COVID. Asking people now, would it help you to have a sustainable schedule if we plan weekly versus monthly? And a crazy amount of people said yes. So kind of just adjusting and pivoting, as you said, I mean, like meeting the clients where they are and what can we do to just continue to serve them well and keep them coming in the door, keep them logging on. Yeah. Yeah. Great points, Cassie. And I think like you even said, just keeping a pulse on, like if you have a lot of moms that are maybe, you know, being caregivers, um, you know, just doing what you can to really meet their specific needs. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, we have a, a, some family oriented facilities. So we recently did a member appreciation party. And as we all know, it's really great for the members, but it's also really important for the staff. And something that we haven't really talked about is taking really good care of our staff right now. Some of them have been affected by COVID. Some of them have been exposed. Some of them are just a little bit, they have so much trepidation about what's going on. So um, making sure that we're doing things to incentivize the staff, having fun contests. Uh, the member appreciation party actually does wonders because the members have fun. You know, they're coming back because they want to be social. They want to be engaged. Uh, and they also can bring friends, having referral offers. I think something that's done really well for us is having something that's a referral promo. We're doing referral gift cards for people. They're so just doing things for your members and for your staff. Yeah, love it. Robert? Well, one of the things that, uh, I mean, I, I think these guys really are nailing it in a lot of fronts. And what we've determined is that there are a lot of uh, segments within our previous membership. Before, uh, it was a little more homogenous. 
But right now, there are a lot of reasons people aren't coming back to the club. And you have to kind of find a way to subdivide that. I mean, for example, we're seeing men come back to the club faster than we are seeing women. And we're, we're, we're seeing singles come back at a rate that's much faster than family memberships. And, uh, you know, family memberships quit at a higher rate proportionally than single memberships during the pandemic. So we have to break it down and segment all of these groups and figure out what the triggers are going to be to get them back in. But one of the things that we've found is we're wherever we are having success is that a personal contact is much more powerful um, than email or or some kind of other marketing um, uh, piece that we're using. And where we've been most successful when we have programs is when we reach out and talk to people. It's real easy for people to kind of ignore that and say, oh, I'll wait another couple months and let's, let's let this virus situation get better. Or I'm, a, I'm not ready to go back. But when you have to talk to somebody uh, at the club, like we use um, VFP Next uh, as our CRM, and we've been able to use that very effectively to stay on top of um, getting people back into um, or, or to making the calls and being able to kind of measure whether that's all being done. And I, I think, you know, if, particularly if people have the resources, if they can make a personal contact, uh, they're going to be way better off than they are with most marketing uh, tools that they've got available to them right now. Yeah, all great points. I agree. All right. All the personal touch points, sending out cards, checking on clients who lost their job. That was actually one thing that we that we did. Clients who lost their job, we offered them free training for a while, um, just until they were able to get back up on their feet or um, find another job. But that personal touch, I agree with you, has made all the difference. Picking up the phone, making a phone call, sending a personal text. Um, you know, people's emails are bombarded this these days with with work emails as well, and so having that nice just relationship component of I care for you how are you doing what's going on with your family um more of that personal feel that we're talking about versus super corporate no matter what size your facility is yeah definitely such a good point you know for us uh just yesterday I was talking about this because there's sometimes a challenge with mask walkthroughs you know staff will go through making sure that everybody's adhering to the mask policy as soon as they walk by maybe somebody drops the mask so one of the things that we talked about is really upping the customer service and the member experience, you know, recognizing people by their names, walking around and having conversations that, like you said, Cassie, is how are you? How's your family? Talking about things that are not about the mask. So that if you do walk around and you see people, people see you as a genuine, authentic person, right? So it really is, it's just more care, more experience, better customer service. All of these things are really important right now. Yeah, and then at that point, you're not just a rule enforcer, you're, you're actually engaging. Exactly. Yeah. All right, well, um, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about maybe some specific strategies or tips for operators out there who might be looking to increase profits or revenue. Um, Sean, do you have any advice for them? Yeah, and I, I bring a unique perspective because I actually acquired a club in June of 2020, right in the heart of the shutdown. And one of the things that drew me to this location was it had a great opportunity for uh, an outdoor exercise area. And so right after acquisition, even though we were under a closed mandate, we launched our outdoor program. But we didn't just do it for the members, we did it for the entire community. And we educated the importance of exercise and getting through this. And this is still somewhat the, the early stages of, of, of COVID. But I think bringing in the community aspect of it, I think, was very important in really connecting with not just our members, but the entire community. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that also allowed us to educate and teach people about the cleaning protocols, the, the changes we were making, uh, the positive changes. And again, that allowed people to come in and see the club from a different perspective. And I think that's a strategy that not only we will continue, but I think everyone needs to continue in uh, having that community connection at all times. Yeah, that's that's a great um, tip and appreciate you sharing that. Cassie, what are your thoughts? Any advice for operators looking to increase profits? I think it goes back to kind of what we've been talking about this 
this whole uh, panel uh, discussion is meeting clients where they are. So one of the silver linings, you know, we talked about virtual is not probably going to be here to stay. It's not going to be our biggest moneymaker, but summer is typically really slow for us. So now people are going on vacation and if they're going for one week, they're probably not logging on. Um, they're, they're just enjoying their vacation. But one thing that has happened during COVID is how about I write you a workout program, something you and your whole family can do while you're on vacation. You can still be healthy. You can still get your workout in. You can still have some family fun together. Um, so we have started program designing for people who are traveling, um, but then also people who are going away for like two weeks, three weeks, two months, they are logging on. And we have never seen that before pre-COVID. Um, so I would think about just little ways in which you can meet the customer where they are and go back to like, okay, what can I, and just asking the simple question, what can I do to help you stay healthy while you're on vacation? Their answer right there is like something you can create as a business and provide for them. Whether it's like, hey, I have to, you know, cook for two weeks on my own. Can you help me out with some menus or can you help me out with a program design? Um, whatever their needs are, we're kind of here just as like a concierge service really to, to provide that for them. Love it. Can you guys hear me okay? I think I lost connectivity for two seconds. Yeah, you were a little, a little shaky there for a second. <laughs> okay, perfect. All right, uh, Robert, what advice would you give to operators looking to increase profits? Well, um, let's get everybody vaccinated so that we can get back to normal. That, that eventually is going to drive... Um, you know, the success of our industry. But um, I think maybe on a kind of a larger basis, what I've noticed certainly with us and uh, with other club operators I've talked to is we've gotten so wrapped up in everything from, you know, uh, the cleaning standards and dealing with all the politics and the regulation and everything. It's taken us off our game. Um, and if we look back at the way we used to operate and the de detail with which we were monitoring membership development, because in the end, I think for most of us, that's really, you know, you know, the mass majority of what we're going to rely on for revenue. Uh, and we have to get membership numbers back up. Yeah. Uh, we, you have to get back into the weeds and really start operating the way you did before. And I, 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 I know in our own circumstances, circumstances, you know, it's easy to kind of feel like there's not much we can do right now. But when we put our head down and we, you know, get back to operating with the diligence that, you know, was standard before, we're seeing results. And so I, I think we, we need to make sure that our, our peers don't get, uh, uh, I guess, uh, discouraged, I guess would be the word I would use, or focused on things that aren't driving revenue. Like, I feel like I'm a politician these days. I'm spending more time trying to fight off the wolves, you know, who want to mask us or they want to impose regulations or even in some cases, you know, advocating for more revenue. I, I know we haven't talked about that on this call, but, uh, you know, one thing that you can do to improve your current profitability is be really aware of all the government aid and tools. Uh, like we've found aid at the city level, we found it at the state level, we found it at the federal level. Um, and so there's lots that can dump, particularly if you're a small operator, there's lots of opportunities out there from the ERC, of course, the PPP, uh, even state and, and federal, or excuse me, state and city governments were given money to distribute for small business. But I don't think they're really well publicized. And a lot of times people are not looking for them. So there's not somebody going to come knocking on your door to say, hey, you want some free money. Um, and so you really need to be focused on those things as well for the short term. Having said that, don't don't lose sight of your sales development and, and a, you know and and get back on the horse the way you were before. Yeah, that's great advice. I didn't know that there were potentially loan opportunities out there for small businesses at this uh, city and state level. Well, we were there are grants, which yeah, is okay. uh, even better. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. And of course, you know, the Jim's Act is still, um, you know, a potential has a potential to be passed as a part of the reconciliation bill that's expected to be voted by Congress on later this year. So um, I know everyone in the industry is encouraging um, all everyone in the industry to really get behind that and encourage their senators in particular right now to really support the bill and increase its chances of getting included. Mm -hmm. So I want to be sure to mention that. But Amita, 
Do you want to weigh in on advice for um, driving profits and revenue? Yeah. So with my domain, you know, with more of a focus for sales, you know, we've touched upon a a lot of great thoughts here on this call. Um, Obviously, we have to manage payroll. A lot of us are wearing a lot of different hats right now and just really understanding that that's the way it's going to be for a little bit. Um, We also have to have price integrity. I think in these kind of times, we think dropping the price. And I think, Sean, you had said something about that. It, It really isn't about that. It's not the gimmick. It's not the, the quick promo. It's, it's really just kind of maintaining that price for that profitability. And, and as Robert just said, I absolutely 100% agree. We've got to go back to the guest and member experience from A to Z, right? We got to go in, we got to get into the weeds. Who, what, and how are we marketing to people? Are we calling them? Are people texting? You know, even the emails, what are we saying? How are we saying it? A lot of markets are tired of hearing about COVID, right? We want to focus on being that sanctuary. We want to focus on a better them, a a better way of life. So what does that feel like when somebody enters our clubs, right? Even that first five minutes is so important. Focusing on their goals, focusing on why they're there. What is that experience like even after they sign up? How are they greeted? How are people following up with their members? Going back to the basics, like you said. You know, I I really like that because I agree. I think sometimes we do have so many different distractions playing at us. You know, California alone, I think we were in masks. We were in um, uh, the little screens. We were in the gloves, like all these things going on. And, you know, we are adapting and pivoting and we're going to follow all the guidelines we need to, but really focusing on what we do best and creating that top-notch experience. Yeah. Um, like you said, it's not about gimmicks. And I'm also, you know, you brought up messaging too. And I'm hearing a lot of operators moving away from focusing on just the fitness aspects of joining a gym, but more towards the mental health, the well-being and overall mm-hmm. health aspects of it. And Cassie, I know that's something that you guys focus on at Avenue, right? Is not just getting fit, but improving your quality of life. Definitely. Absolutely. Even, you know, having people and resources that we can send our clients to um, having lifestyle sessions available for them. So much more than just the workout understanding and knowing like everybody has a story and everybody's story plays into their current decisions and habits and the way that they live life. So definitely we are all about that. Yeah. All right. Touch on something that uh, Amita said that I think is really, really important. Um, not only do I think right now is not the time to cut prices, I think it's the time to raise prices. And with inflation, what we're seeing in the marketplace, if you're staying even, and this has been a problem in our industry for a long time, people have been very hesitant to raise prices and they go years and years and years, and then they have to, you know, they raise some nominal amount and it doesn't really help them catch up. Um, I'm actually planning on raising prices at a significant, I do it every year, but this year at a higher rate than we've ever done it before. Um, and I think the market will support that. The people, particularly the people that are, are, are with us are with us. And, um, you know, I think people see that other prices are rising and you, you want to do it when they're seeing it elsewhere as well. Some people, well, you know, they can't afford it. People can afford to be members of our clubs. It's, it's just, you have to have the confidence that your product uh, and the service you provide is worth the money. Um, and I think really people need to think about that because, you know, the likelihood, is, you know, one of the biggest problems that we have in our industry is the, the sleeping dogs, the people that we used to have on our membership roles who, who paid us dues, who didn't come as much as we would like, or that they, they probably would have liked, but they just kind of kept hanging in there. We lost those people during the pandemic. They figured it out. Um, and it, they're going to be the hardest ones to get back, probably not getting back. Uh, and so we have to figure out what we're going to do about that lost revenue. And obviously one, one technique is to raise prices. Yeah. Yeah. Any advice to operators looking to raise prices in terms of maybe how they communicate that to their membership? Robert? Uh, well, I, I, you know, with less fanfare, the better. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think that, uh, you know, uh, you know, anywhere from, you know, when I say a lot, you know, we're probably talking an average of $5. Um, and, you know, if you're a low price point, maybe that's a high percentage. But, you know, if you're over 100 bucks, it's, it's not that noticeable. Uh, we literally have it in our contract that uh, when people join, it says in October, your dues will go up every year. 
And uh, so people were planning on that, or they saw that, or at least we can point at that after the fact. Um, I will say, and I think this is pretty standard across the industry, when people raise prices, it's usually a non-event uh, mm -hmm. for most people. Okay. And so yeah. I don't, I, I think we worry and kind of, you know, wring our hands and, and think that people are going to go piling out the door. But I literally don't know of a single circumstance in my 40 years in the industry that uh, that's happened to, to somebody. Yeah, that's encouraging. Well, I think, um, I think immediately it was you who had brought up also, you know, rising payroll expenses, which mm -hmm. might also um, indicate a reason to raise dues. Um, does anyone have any thoughts on how to manage, you know, the rising minimum wages in certain states and just managing payroll expenses in general? Sean, any advice there? Yeah, well, profit is revenue minus expenses. So there's two sides of the equation and payroll percentage is the same way. Uh, you can have a lower payroll on paper, both in dollar and percentages by cutting, but that's not always the smart thing. I look at payroll like any other way I spend money or invest money is, does it bring value? Does it bring a return on that mm -hmm. investment? And it's not always about the return on investment today. It's about a long-term investment. And so, yeah, we have to be smarter. We have to train better and, and, and find better people. The things that we've been saying for years, but haven't done the investments as an industry, in my opinion, to really do that. Now they're forced to, but they're behind the eight ball. And the buzzwords in our industry that you've always heard that some people like to say, but don't always invest in the culture of investing in your, 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 your people, finding good people. Now those chickens are coming home to roost. And if you haven't done it by now, it's going to be a lot tougher than the people who've always done that. And I think what you're seeing is, you know, are, are, are people who have been burned by their employer in the past, whether it's by you or someone else, those are the ones who are a little bit more skeptical just to, to race right back to, you know, working for someone. But what is the investment? And more importantly, do you know the return on the investment of your entire team? Do you know the return on investment of every department? Paralyzed, more importantly, do you know the return on the investment of each individual? And I think when you actually sit down and think about that, some of it's objective, a lot of it's subjective, you'll, you'll really start to understand that uh, it's not the employee that's the problem or the team member that's the problem, it's us that's the problem. And that we don't need to be cutting, we need to be raising, we need to be investing either directly or indirectly. And so what is that return on, on, on the investment? And you know, the last thing I'll say is how do we pay people more by allowing them or putting them in a position to have a return? You know, can your front desk team members each be responsible for X number of sales? Can your cleaner be responsible for X number of referrals? Can, and I can go on and on, but can you add some responsibilities to justify paying someone more, but more importantly, get a, a higher return on the investment? regardless of what it is that you're paying. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, I would say, you know, with, you know, people like that, the trainers, the housekeepers, the front desk staff referring, there has to be some kind of reward and recognition, right? So yes, we can talk about friends and family rates for employees and people that we know referring, but there has to be that recognition. It's so important because when they're doing something to further the business, you know, and there's somebody that works at the front desk, it's a really big deal. You know, we need to make sure that our staff is aware of that. You know, I loved a lot of what you had to say, Sean. Um, it, it's so important recruiting the best people and developing within for the bigger positions, especially right now, because there's a lot of animosity when you hire people and, you know, they're making so much money on unemployment. I think we all probably experienced that a little bit, um, really being very picky and meticulous about hiring the right people. Uh, but making sure that you're, we're taking care of the people that have been loyal to us, you know, and helping them grow. Yeah, great point. Uh, Cassie, anything you want to add on this topic? Um, no, not much. I think you guys said yeah. all that I can say. The only thing that we have changed was new people that we hired, um, like 
right at the beginning of COVID, they're just on a little bit different pay scale. Like we knew we were going to go through uh, a little bit of a, a dry season and not have as many people coming in. So pre pre-COVID hires are on one rate and then post are on another. So we did make that little bit of modification and it's not major, major, but just enough to continue to help with that. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Robert, any uh, advice for managing payroll expenses? Uh, well, you know, <laughs> the uh, I, I agree with what Sean was saying about cost control that, you know, it is, it's, it's been insane how much I've learned about the organization in the last year and a half, I thought I was well-versed on what's going on, but when I start personally looking at every invoice that's being paid and digging down into that and looking at a payroll and, and just trying to figure out where we're redundant, we have learned quite a bit. We have lowered overall payroll significant amount. What we're seeing now, of course, with inflation and the lack of employees in the service industry, you know, and I, I think, you know, as Cassie said at the beginning, you know, people have gone off and done something else, right? If, if you're, Business is shut down. People don't have access to their workplace. They've got to do something else. And I think what we've seen is we've seen a shift. People out of service industry and into other things uh, where there wasn't the same uh, COVID impact. And it's going to take some time to bring people back. Plus, we're see, you know so we're seeing this inflation that's being driven by scarcity of the employees. I don't want to get caught up in that because I think once you start spending significantly more, that that becomes fixed and it's what the, what you're going to have going forward. So we are doing our best to up our game in terms of recruitment and finding people um, at the current wage levels so that if we if this is a temporary phenomena and we start seeing people coming back into the industry or better access to service level employees, uh, that we're not going to get stuck with the long-term uh, cost um, uh, increases associated with that. So um, we've resisted the temptation to get involved in that, and we've done okay so far, I think. Uh, and that's mainly been driven by just upping the recruitment process uh, to make sure that we have adequate staffing. Plus, we've, you know, again, trying to structurally change the costs of operations. So, for example, I'm turning almost all the clubs into 24 hour access, even the larger ones um, and closing the staffed periods by a couple of hours each evening. So before where I maybe close 10 or 11 o'clock, we're going to close at eight o'clock. Now it's self-checking 24 hours um, doing things structurally like that to, to um, both a add a benefit to the members uh, who can now come 24 hours, uh, but also at the same time, uh, keep those, uh, the, you know, costs down for the long term. Yeah. Um, we actually do have a question for the audience around these lines, um, from the audience around those lines. Um, they're wondering if anyone um, still has a fitness for staff person who's not doing training, but just going around and maybe giving guidance. They said that they're considering eliminating this position to save costs and focus more on having trainers do more free sessions and hope to drive some additional revenue there. Uh, anyone have any thoughts on that? I mean, it's a full staff duty, you know, policing the floor, re-racking, you know, team cleans, uh, mask patrol. It's what we're all doing these days. So yeah, we don't have a specific fitness person. Obviously we have housekeeping and that kind of thing, but um, I do think membership front desk uh, and our trainers are helping. Okay. And I agree awesome. with Amita that uh, it, that's a position that everyone is hired to do and instead of first looking to eliminate that position i'm sure they're looking at many different uh, avenues what else can that person do can they also be a cleaner can they also uh, make some phone calls do some customer service uh, instead of looking to hire new staff when you have an empty space can you kind of bundle positions and that that'd be one that because they have freedom to move around we, we have eliminated some of those positions uh, in our facilities and we've noticed, well, it's tough to measure, right? Tough to quantify, but we aren't aware of any significant uh, change in the member experience. One of the things, and I don't know everybody else seeing this, but used to be that I'd walk around the club and I'd greet people and we, you know, we'd encourage our staff to 
say hello to folks. Now right. it's almost impossible to do because everybody's got, a, I, I mean, literally almost everybody has headphones on. And, you know, I feel like I'm a complete idiot talking to myself walking around. And so uh, those folks are actually just having, I mean, just think about it logistically, it's harder for them to do a great job because they, they can't communicate with people. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I, I don't think that it's a, I, I think that's evolving. Plus I think people are spending tons of time getting advice off of YouTube and other vehicles like mm-hmm. that. So it's, it's not as important a position as it used to be. In some of our higher end clubs, um, we still have that. Uh, but it's not quite what it used to be, um, you know, in, in days of yore. Yeah, makes sense. All right. Well, we are about out of time. So I want to give each of you an opportunity to go around and share maybe your best piece of advice uh, for other operators on profit or revenue generation. Amita, let's start with you. If you could just share one thing, what would it be? I would say lean in. We got to get in there. Leaders have to lead right now. We have to get into our clubs. We have to talk to staff. We have to talk to members. We have to find out how they're feeling, keep um, adding to that culture and do what we do best. Yeah, love it. Kathy, go ahead. I think what everybody has hit upon today, um, investing in your team, investing in your community, being there for people when they need you, putting all that forth is always gonna give you that return that you're looking for. Yeah, awesome, thank you. Sean, what's your one piece of advice? COVID has allowed a lot of businesses to become professional excuse makers on why they can't deliver on their product. And one thing I encourage our team to do and encourage a lot of teams to do is be a COVID excuse-free environment. Two times today, three times today, I've already dealt with why I can't get product for our cafe, why I can't uh, get someone on the phone to deal with a software issue. And there, it's always a one-word excuse, COVID. And everyone is facing that. And so I challenge our team to provide a COVID-free excuse environment for our members. Eliminate anything that makes us providing our service to them because of COVID. Eliminate the reasons why and just do it. Yeah, love it. Robert, what's your one piece of advice? Well, it's hard to follow all of that, but um, I think it's really uh, kind of a, you know, as, as I mean to say, you know, we got to get back to it. You know, we, we have to uh, be in present the way we were present before. And, and I'll be honest, I think some of the, I mean, we were very, very aggressive on mitigation. I mean, we did from A to Z and then, you know, we convinced everybody it was safe. In retrospect, I think that that was somewhat, lot of to a large extent that this was a dangerous place and so we've stopped doing that and we're seeing a pretty significant improvement in uh, people's return to the clubs because by saying hey we're doing electrostatic spraying or we're doing fogging at night or we're you know uh, we have all of these tools we're just saying and because we need to right because there's something dangerous going on here and so I think people need to think that through that and see if maybe that's uh, part of the reason that they might be um, or they might be shooting themselves in the foot a little bit. Um, but I think it's also in, in a time to be bold and to, to be a sales and marketing machine and not, you know, as Sean say, said, you know, be worried about the excuses. And, and you know, eventually uh, what's, you know, our, our future is going to be determined to a large extent by how well we can contain this virus and, and uh, people getting vaccinated. Um, so, uh, but in the meantime, we have to be as uh, we, we're going to have to be there when that time comes. And, and I think um, right now, uh, a lot of people just want to get back at it and they don't want to be reminded that that there are these, you know, all these things that have to happen in order to keep them safe. We've had a very safe environment and we have to be proud of that. I think all the clubs have done a great job. I don't I haven't heard of anybody who's, you know, other than really small anecdotal uh, circumstances um, this has been a safe place. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the gyms act. I want to put an, uh, a plug in for that. You know, we were in there with what I call the, the dirty half dozen, you know, bars, restaurants, entertainment venues, movie theaters. Um, and we're the only industry that hasn't had targeted specific relief 
from the federal government uh, for our industry. And you can make a difference. I mean, I'm a nobody, but I call the my senator's office and my House of Representatives, and they listen. You know, and and I because we have a really good story to tell about why we need to, to uh, have them co-sponsor those. So I, everybody that's on this call, you can do it. I mean, you don't have to be somebody to get your senator or your House of Representatives. You just have to be a pain in the butt. Um, I'm pretty good at that. So. <laughs> Anyway, I encourage all of you to be the same. Yeah, love it. Great call to action. Let's all be pains in the butt. So yeah. awesome. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate each of you for sharing your unique uh, insights and experiences with the audience. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're out of time. So thank you, audience, for tuning in. Thanks again, panelists, and everyone have a great rest of your day. Bye, everybody. Thank you.